Alright, well we are in a sermon series called How's the Family? How's the Family? Raise your hand if you came with your family to church today. You came with your family. Raise your hand if you came with somebody who you'd like to make family. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, you were, and it's real awkward. If you raised your hand and they didn't, that would be real awkward. You'd be like, hey, man, no, mm-mm, I don't know, no. We've been talking about family. really believe like family is the substratum. Ooh, it just means the base, the foundation. It's the foundation of society. We said last week when the enemy can't get you to turn away from Jesus, he'll try and get you to turn on your family. He's going to try and get you to break those relationships because it's the place in our life where we go to recharge and so we've been having a really good time. We've been talking about uh, fathers, and we've been talking about feuding. And uh, today we're going to keep it going by visiting another dysfunctional family in the Bible. Isn't that great? My goodness. When I hear dysfunctional families in the Bible, I'm like, yes, this is good. Like, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as that guy right there. Like, this is awesome. And it's in the Bible? Come on, let's go. The Bible would be rated R, by the way. If this was a movie, you need to know there's some, some bad stuff happening here. Luke 15, 11. They wouldn't even make a movie about this. This is bad. Luke 15, 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll put the verse on the screen. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. This is the inheritance. Now, now when do you normally get an inheritance from your parents? When they die. So homeboy is saying, I can't wait for you to die. So can you just give me my money right now? Like, put that in the context. And then the dad, woo! You could tell he was not a Latino. I'll tell you that right now. My pops would have been like, oh, I'll give you something. That's what our dad would have done. So he divided his property between them. The dad said, okay. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country and then squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, the story that we are reading today has affectionately come to be known as the story of the prodigal son. If you grew up in church, there's no chance you have not heard story with the prodigal son. One of the things I pride about Journey Church is that it's a church where people come to for the first time. They haven't been to church at all or in a long time. The word prodigal just means excessive. It means to, to do in abundance. It means to be reckless. And this son was reckless and excessive in his spending. But the interesting thing about this title, the prodigal son, is Jesus never uses the word prodigal. In fact, Jesus never even titles this story the prodigal son. I think the reason why we call it the prodigal son is because of all the characters in the story, the son is probably the one that we identify with the most. But if you take this story and you put it into context, it's actually the third of three stories that talk about things being lost. In Luke 15, the first story is about a lost sheep. The second story is about a lost coin. And the third story is about a lost son. And so in each story, the thing that is lost continues to change. But the thing that is the same is the one who is looking for the thing that is lost. What I'm trying to tell you is that we call it the prodigal son, but when you read it in the context of the chapter that it's in, this story is not about the son. This story is about the father. And I'd like to revisit this story from the perspective of the father, and I also would like to suggest 
a new title for this story. I know, I know we've been centuries been calling it the story of the prodigal son, but, but I, wanna, I wanna suggest to you that a more biblically accurate, historically, culturally accurate name might be, this is the title of my message, The Prodigal Parent. The Prodigal Parent. The Prodigal Parent. Four years we've been a church and we have never preached on the topic of parenting. Not because I don't think it's important, but because sometimes when you preach on something so niche, you risk alienating people who are in that current season of life. So like right now, everybody who's not a parent is like, this was not the week to bring a friend. <laughs> oh my gosh, come back next week. He usually preaches hope and, and glory and stuff like that. And issues and drama. And... But I really, really believe, like don't tune out if you're watching online and don't tune out if you're here in person because I really, really believe that this message is gonna help you no matter what season you're in. First off, let me talk to the parents. Uh, raise your hand if you are a parent in the room. You are a parent at any level. Come on, we got a lot of parents. Okay, I don't need to tell you anything. You are already leaning in. Because parenting is hard, y'all. Harder than you think. It's very, very hard. That's why the whole process begins with something called labor. It starts there, at labor. And then you would think when the kid gets older and they leave the house, like everybody's waiting for that, right? I can't wait for the kid to leave the house and then I'll have my life back. And the reality is I talk to parents whose kids leave the house. I say, man, it must be good now. Huh? I bet you're chilling. And they'll be like, no, it was better when they were home because at least when they were home, I would know that they were in their room at night. I knew they made it home safe. But when they move out, you wonder if they made it home safe. The, 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 the difficulty of parenting never, ever ends. It begins with labor and it ends with labor. This is a message. <laughs> ends with labor. The, 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 the next group of people that this sermon is going to help are those who would like to be parents one day. Raise your hand if you would like to be a parent one day. You'd like to be a parent one day. That's not a lot of people. What is happening in America today? Who scarred you? What happened? <laughs> Raise your hand if you'd like to be a parent one day. Just let me see one more time. Okay, listen, if you'd like to be a parent one day, this, today's message is going to help lay a foundation for your life. Because a lot like marriage, you don't want to start preparing for it when you're in it. By the way, that's how like 90% of the marriage issues happen. We'll work on that when we get married. And it's like, no, you don't build a plane while you're flying. You build it and then you fly. Like, it's... And I know what you're thinking, everybody who's going to be a parent. They're like, well, I just know because they told me and I saw it in a movie that when the baby comes out, instinct is just going <laughs> to. Can we just put instinct into context of your life? In the context of your life, when has your instinct ever been right? <laughs> Every bad decision I ever made was because of instinct. <laughs> Every single one. Surely as a parent, it wasn't going to get better. I got no parenting instincts whatsoever. I remember when my son was like five or six years old, well, smaller than that, probably three or four. And see, no parenting instinct, three or four. And he was sick and he was, had some kind of nausea going on, some type of stomach thing. And I had to get something for Liz because it was Mother's Day and it was like a last minute present. And so I wanted to go to like the most expensive, nicest jewelry store on Park Avenue. And uh, you know, I can't leave him home um, over my instinct. So I, I put him in the car because that was my instinct. And I didn't pack any extra clothes, although Liz always tells me to pack clothes. I'm like, no, I got an instinct about this. This is going to be good. I had to get it before she came home. So we went to the jewelry store. I took him out of the car. We went into the jewelry store, and Justice threw up at the threshold of the jewelry store. Like, there's the sidewalk. This is like the nicest jewelry store in Park Avenue. I'm not going to give you the name because they're looking for me. Because the, the threshold was right here. He just threw over the threshold, and then my instinct kicked in. I picked him up and went back to the car. I didn't, 
I didn't tell nobody. I'm like, I got a church in Winter Park. I can't make sure nobody <laughs> sees me or knows me. And we just left. I got zero instinct. And I don't think your instinct is going to kick in when you become a parent. You need to prepare for it. And lastly, the person that I want to speak to today is maybe you, you're not a parent. You don't ever want to be a parent. That's cool. But what today's message is going to help you, here's how it will help you. It will help you understand your parent because some of y'all have a, a strained relationship with your parent. This is going to help you understand them, humanize them. And then also it's going to help you understand the Father God, who is our celestial parent, the best parent we can ever, ever, ever have. And I'm not going to preach alone today. I've got some help. We've got the rest of our family ministry team at Journey Church is going to help us preach today. I want to introduce you, if you haven't met her yet, our children's director, Medi. Give it up for Medi. We're going to do some team teaching today. In addition to Medi, we have our youth director, James, in the house. Journey Youth. Come on. And we're bringing up our children's director and our youth director because we want to speak to parents in different seasons. Today's message is going to apply to you. Like I said, if you're the parent of a newborn, if you're the parent of a child, if you're the parent of a teenager, if you're the parent of an adult, or if you're not a parent at all, today's message is going to uh, apply to you. And I also wanted to introduce them to you because we have a philosophy of uh, pastoring youth and children at this church. And the philosophy of pastoring youth and children is that we don't pastor youth and children. We help parents pastor youth and children. We want to become your partner, and one of the best ways you can start on that journey is by meeting these two after service, introducing yourself, and they'll introduce themselves, and you guys can develop a relationship so that we can come alongside you as you try and create and invest and, and, and introduce your son or daughter to Jesus. Before we get into the passage, I just want to share a quick illustration for why parenting is so hard. Um, parenting is so hard because, um, you know what this is? This is a, a car owner's manual. It's my car owner's manual. I'm really grateful for it um, because whenever I need an oil change, like this tells me how long I should wait to get one. Whenever my tires need air, I just go to the section on tires and it tells me, you know, the exact PSI that my tires need to be. Um, if a light goes on, and I don't know what none of them lights mean when them lights go on, but I can, I can look at this graph here and I'll be like, that's what that light means. This is my car manual. Here's what makes parenting so difficult when you leave the hospital. They don't give you one. You get a $20,000 bill, but you don't, get, you don't get a manual, which is a problem when things go wrong in your kids and you don't know how to fix it. So, so, so you'll be like, oh my gosh, he came home with an F in his chemistry test. It's not here. It's not here. You, you look up their phone and inside their phone, all of a sudden, you find some, some, some suspicious text messages, some suspicious images. You, you find out that they're on TikTok and you start to follow them under a fake name and, and you start seeing some suspicion and you're like, TikTok's not in here. It's not in here. The, the first time your five-year-old cusses, yes, it will happen. He won't even know what he's saying, but he will drop a bomb and you will look for the manual, but it's not there because in parenting, you don't get a manual. Here's what you get. A recipe. You get one piece of paper. This is a recipe that my wife got from her mom. It's a recipe for shepherd's pie. How many people like shepherd's pie? My mother-in-law makes some amazing shepherd's pie. It was so good. I said, babe, can you get the recipe for the shepherd's pie? She said, sure. So she called her mom. Her mom gave her the recipe. It was one page, and it's not even specific. <laughs> Look at the recipe. Boil potatoes and mash them. It's going to say for how long. 
how long do I boil with these potatoes? <laughs> Cook ground meat and add salt. Doesn't say how much. It just says add some salt. What's some? I look in my pantry. I got a cup measurer. Some is not on there. I have no idea. So, so it's short. It's not specific. And here's the problem with recipes. They've been handed down from the person who made it. See, we don't get a manual to raise kids. We get a recipe because we can only raise kids the way we were shown to be raised. And so mom and dad raised you a certain way. You didn't know when they were raising you, they were giving you a recipe. But here's the problem. Some of our parents can't cook. And, and by cook, I'm not talking about food anymore. I'm talking about some of our parents weren't the greatest. But can, I just, can we just give them some grace? All they did was follow the instructions. All they did was do what they could with what they had. And so the recipe is, is kind of sketch. It's hard to follow. It's not specific. Oh, and by the way, the world has changed. And so back in the day, you could cook with five pounds of lard. Not anymore. You cook with five pounds of lard, you, you're going to die. Your arteries are going to clog up. But back then, you could do it. It's a different world. How many people know it's a different world now? So the way that your parents parented you, you can't parent your kids the same way because it's a different world. When my mom and my dad installed a computer, I grew up during the computer internet era. Like, like this is my childhood. That's my childhood. AOL, y'all don't know. That was my childhood. Dial up, internet, okay? When my parents put a computer with internet in my living room, in my, in my bedroom, my bedroom, they had no idea what they were doing. How could they? That's not how they grew up. It's a different world. You guys got it even worse. Your kids don't have computers in their bedroom. They got computers in their pockets. They got computers, and you didn't grow up like that. So you're like, I need a, this recipe don't work. <laughs> Which is the problem, because your parents give you the recipe, and then you try and do the best that you can. And here, here's what you need to know. Kids, here's what your parents would never admit to you. Okay? People who want to be parents, this is, this, is what, this is what you think is it, but it isn't. And parents, what I'm about to say right now is going to free you, free you. We're all making it up as we go along. We are, we are all just trying our very, you know what it is? We get a recipe and we'll be like, mm, it needs more salt. <laughs> that wasn't good. I did that and then he rebelled and that didn't work. And so we got to add some salt. <laughs> That didn't work. We're just messing with it. We're just messing with the recipe trying to do. But the, but the problem is, so when, when we don't have a manual and you can't trust the recipe, but you're trying to raise a child, here's the issue. This question begins to come into your mind. Since I got no measure of reference, here's the question. What if I mess up? That's the question I want to answer. What if I mess up? Or what if I've messed up? Because I know that in the room there are some parents of 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 20-year-olds. And you've lost that window into their childhood. What if I've messed up? And I just want to encourage you. It's not if. You will. <laughs> and it's not if. You did. <laughs> you, you definitely messed them up. In some way, shape, or form, you did it. But let, me, but let me encourage you even more. And this isn't going to sound like encouragement, but I promise you it is. Here's the encouragement. Parents, you have the power to shape your children, but not to save your children. You need this truth to get settled and planted in your soul. You have the power to shape your children, but not to save your children. You have, the, you have the ability to influence. Like, I played the trumpet when I was in middle school. Do you know why I played the trumpet? It wasn't because it was cool. I'll tell you that right now. Middle school marching band was not cool. 
I played the trumpet because my dad played the trumpet. But I haven't touched a trumpet in 10 years. Why? Because at some point, your children will leave the home, and your influence ends, and their choices begin. And we cannot be responsible for the choices they make. They're two separate. I'm just trying to free somebody. I'm trying to free a parent who is a parent, and I'm trying to free you as you're getting ready for You can try your best. You can try and shape them. You can try and mold them, but you cannot save them. Don't take responsibility. Don't take the blame. You can't. You just can't. If you take the blame, then the father in the story has to take the blame. Let me ask you a question. What did the father in the story do bad that would make the young son want to leave? He was the best dad, and he still left. Who was Adam's dad in the garden? What did he do wrong? That Adam came out that way. What did he do wrong? How about Judas? Judas, the disciple who ended up betraying Jesus, he was like Jesus' spiritual son. So let me ask you, what did Jesus do wrong to make Judas want to betray him? So that Judas took his life. See, we, we shape our children, but we don't make our children. We, this is the idea of what parenting is. We, we, we get a baby, and this is what every soon-to-be parent thinks. But every parent of a 20-year-old and 30-year-old knows. They, they know that's not true. They think, oh, I can't wait to make my baby. I mean, I mean I'm going to make them, and that part's going to be fun, but the raising is going to be fun, too. I'm going to make sure. If you caught it, you caught it. If, I'm going to make sure. I'm going to make them, and I'm going to bring them in the best schools. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure he's real smart. See, I'm making his head bigger. Real smart. I'm going to give him the best tutors. I'm going to give him, and then, and then, you know, maybe, you know, a music, you want to be a musician? You're like, I'm going to teach him how to play music. I'm going to buy him a little 34-key Casio. Come on, he's going, ding, ding, ding. He's going to play music? He's playing music right now, guys. <laughs> and then, and then you, you know, you got a girl or a guy, you're like, you know what, maybe we'll teach him ballet, you know? <laughs> we have this big vision for our kids, but listen, you can't make your kid. And anybody who's a parent knows we had one vision for the way our kids would come out, but the way they came out, I need some help preaching this now. If you got a son or daughter who's 25, 30, 40, I need you to let them know that the way they came out was not what you expected. <laughs> say amen if you say if you agree. Amen. I did my best. I brought them to church. I did everything I could. And they were supposed to be this, but they're not this. Because you can't make your kid. You can only do two things for your kid. You can give them the materials. You get a kid, and if you're intelligent, you give them some values. Like, like integrity, honesty, hard work, grit. If you're, if you're eternally minded, you don't just give them values. You bring them to Journey Church and you give them Jesus. Come on, you don't get a, you see Jesus is red? You don't get that kind of attention to detail in other churches, okay? This is Jesus' blood right here. That's, I'm, just, I'm not going to work hard on the sermon if you don't appreciate it, but I just plan. Stop it, stop it. Keep going. Um, no, you give, them, you give them values, you give them Jesus. And if, so if we're being intelligent, we give them values. If we're being eternal, we give them Jesus. But if we're being honest, we don't just give them values in Jesus. We also, we also give them our baggage. You know, you got baggage, right? And you know who's going to get that baggage. This is why it's so important to hear this message if you ain't got kids right now. Because whatever baggage you don't deal with becomes their baggage. So if you got issues with your dad, expect them to have issues, it's your baggage. So then if you struggle with pornography, expect that because that's your baggage. We give them the material. Here's what raising a kid is like. You spend 18 years giving them the material, but when they leave the house, now they decide what they want to make. That's what raising a kid is like. 
And, I, and, and so, listen, don't stop blaming your parents for what they give you. Real quick. And start taking responsibility for what you made with what they gave you. Because here's the best thing about clay. I can turn this into whatever I want to. So whether you got a little or a lot, because some of y'all are like, oh, well, if my dad gave me a lot, then I would do a lot. Really? Because the son in this story got it all. And he still squandered it and wasted it. All we can do is give them the material and hope. So how do I help them make a good life? You don't make, listen, you model. You try and live your life as good as you can so that when they grow up, they make what they saw at home. You know you can't make your child have a prayer life. You can only model one. I, I love when my kids catch me praying. I love it. I'll, I'll position my prayer in a place where they see it <laughs> just so they can. I love when they watch me reading the Bible. They think I read the Bible all the time. I'm not going to tell them I don't. I was on the phone the other day watching ESPN, looking at the scores. They were like, Dad, you reading the Bible? I was like, yep. You know? I was kidding. I didn't lie to them. I told them I was watching ESPN. But you know you can't make your kid worship. You can only model that at home. You can only model that here at church. You know you can't make your son treat women with respect. You can only model that by treating your wife with respect. You know, you can't, you can't make them patient. You got to model patience. You know, woman of God, that you can't make your daughter a dreamer, but you can model it by chasing after your dreams. We don't make, we, we model. Here's the problem with parenting. We're trying to make our kids do things that we don't model. And, and it's real deceptive how it works, because here's what we tell ourselves. I just want them to be better than I was. I just want them to be a better version of myself. Stop trying to make your kid a better version of yourself and start trying to become a better version of yourself. Because as you get better, they're going to look at you and they're going to want to model their lives after what you, what you did, what you did. And it's a parent is saying, well, you know, I've already made so many mistakes. They're already so old. That's okay. Then model repentance. Model forgiveness, model perseverance, model what it's like to not quit. Call up your son if they're out of the house. I'm sorry for these decisions I made. Tell your little five-year-old when you yell at him, Daddy is so sorry. This is not how we treat people. I lost my temper. Forgive me. Model it down. But whatever you model, the hope is that they would make their life in that image, the image that you give them. Give it up for Medi as she takes on the summer from this point. Hello, Journey Church. Hello? Hello? Hello, Journey Church. How's it going? How are you guys? My name is Maddie. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Before I get started, I actually want to introduce you to my little family. This is my little family. That is my husband and my child. My husband and I get to serve here as full-time staff at Journey Church. Pastor JJ, thank you so much for always believing in us, for leading us by example. Thank you so much. And then we also have our son. The, the same kid, by the way. Um, there's another one coming. But yes, this is Mateo. He's three years old, and he looks so cute, right, worshiping in Journey Kids. Yeah. Well, he's three years old, so it's getting tough at home. So please pray for us. <laughs> and like I said, I'm Medi, and I get to be Journey Kids director. It is the most rewarding job ever. I love it. Shout out to our huge and amazing team. We love it so much. 
parents, take your children to Journey Kids. Trust me, one, you need a little break. And two, they're going to have so much fun in there. We get to worship together. We get to build community. We get to pray for each other. It's amazing. And so we're going to keep reading the story in Luke 15, 17 through 20. And it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the higher servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a higher servant. And let's pay close attention to verse 20. It says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still long way off, he's, he his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. When I read that last verse, I'm looking for the angel that says, Hey, father, hey, dad, wake up. Your son is coming today, and you need to be outside. You need to be there waiting for him. It doesn't say that, right? It says that he saw him coming, meaning he was paying attention. He was alert. The father was there day in, day out, waiting for him, not just that one day. And then the other part that I think about is, why did the son feel safe to come back home? And it makes me think of, he built such a good and strong relationship with his son that he was always there for him, not just now, but even when he was a child. I think about the times um, with Mateo, you know, uh, he either brings a lot of laughter or conviction to my heart, and I love to share these stories. And one time he asked me to play with him, and so we were on the rug playing cars, and you know, I'm the millennial mom. I have to take my phone out, record him so I can post him later. Anybody else? Yeah? Okay. So I'm taking the, a, a video of him playing, and he looks at me and he goes, Mommy, put phone away. Play with me. And I'm like, first of all, little boy, you don't tell me what to do. But second, I'm like, wait a minute. He's only three years old, and he knew that my presence automatically left our playtime, even though... I was still there. I didn't get up. I was still there. And for some of us, it might look a little bit different. We want to be there for our kids, but we have all these things going on. We have work. We have responsibilities. We have jobs. We have this. We got church. We got the Zoom meeting. Come on, somebody. We got the, the news playing. We got like bills. Everything in our heads is just like on and on and on and on. So there's one question I want to ask you guys today, or you're probably asking yourself, so how can I be there when I can't be there? Wow. How can I be there when I can't be there? And the answer to this question is, if you can't control being present, you can control your presence. If you can't control being present, you can control being your presence. And it reminds me of back in the days when I was in high school, uh, my teacher would take attendance and she was like, Mitty, and I would say, present, and then I'll knock out right on my desk. I was out. I don't know how I planned that class, by the way. I was out. Are we doing that as parents? Do we get home, open the door, hey, I'm here, how's it going, okay, bye, let me go back and go make dinner, and I gotta do this, I gotta pay this bill, I gotta call this person, I gotta tune into a Zoom call. We have to be aware that the time that we have with our children, we have to make most out of that time we have with him. 
growing up, I grew up in a, in a home where my parents had a lot of uh, businesses and we were in full-time ministry and it was great. I had a great childhood, but there's this one part I'll never forget and it was when my mom would come and she would sit with us, with my sister and I, and we would play Barbies. And probably for her, it was just like 30 minutes, but for me, it felt like hours of just having my mom's attention just being there for me and because of that time is that's why we get to have the relationship we get to have now so how are we coming home and 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 I get it you're like but how can I how can I if I don't have time well let's do life with our children let's involve them in everything we do and let's be present in the times that we do get to have with them hey you gotta make dinner hey kids let's go let's all go make dinner trust me it's fun mateo loves it (laughs) or what about when we sit at dinner table let's stop thinking about the bills Let's stop thinking about the elections. Let's stop thinking about those things that are taking away from our time of being fully there for our children. What about, hey, I'm not a parent. These are great tips. I'm going to put them in my notebook, take them out when I'm a parent. What if you're that child that your parents weren't there for you? Or what if your parents were there for you and now your goals and your dreams and your success is no longer there for you? Well, God used a couple names in the Hebrew to describe himself, and here are a few. Jehovah Jireh, I am the provider. Jehovah Nisi, I am your victory. Jehovah Shalom, I am peace. And there's this one name he picked out for himself when he could have picked superhero names, super powerful names. He picked Jehovah Shammah, and it means I am there. I am there. You see, there's a time in my life where it was one of the most difficult things I had to do, labor. Ooh, that was hard. I'm not like my my friend, Pastor Jenny. She popped four girls out. The next day she was at work. She's like, I got this. (laughs) And I'm about to do it again. Pray for me. (laughs) But then it was just in that moment of my life where I'm still trying to figure this thing out. I don't have a manual. Nobody's telling me what to do. My mom's trying to help me out. Martin is here holding my hand and it needs just nothing else matter. Nothing makes it better. And then we got the newborn stage and I'm going through postpartum depression. Y'all, that is real. You know what? I made it through those months because God was just there for me. He was just giving me my hand. He was just walking alongside of me. And I want to remind you that if for you it might look different, for you it might look like a divorce, it might look like your children leaving your home, but God is there ready to embrace you, ready to love you. He is always present. Let's give it up for James. Amen, amen. So good. Like Medi said, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is James. And alongside my beautiful wife right there. No, not Jason, right there next to um, But you're beautiful too, bro. Um, both of y'all are beautiful. But alongside my beautiful wife, we get to serve as the youth pastors here at Journey with the best youth group in the world back there. Shout out to Journey Youth. I love y'all. And I remember this time last year, I was preparing for January's culture night, which by the way, if you don't know what culture night is, one, if you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, you need to be there 
first Friday of every month, we have something called Culture Night, which is for all middle school and high school students. And let me tell you, it's an amazing experience, and it's a lot of fun. So if you have a middle school or high schooler, or if you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, be there November 6th. It is going to be amazing. And spoiler alert, we're going to be releasing some hoodies. So you got to be there if you like hoodies. That's what I'm saying. Um, but it was crazy because I remember this time last year preparing for January's Culture Night. I was like, I have the best theme in the world for January's Culture Night. It's going to be so creative. I brought it up to my core leaders and I told them, are you guys ready for the theme for January? And they were like, okay, you're creative, I think. Um, and I told them the theme is going to be 2020 vision. I'm like, I'm so creative. Um, but they, they looked at me kind of funny. And come January... Me, alongside all 414,000 churches in the United States, were unified in the same theme. I was not very creative, but man, let me tell you, this season, this year is not what I envisioned when I said 2020 vision. Some people didn't have toilet paper for weeks, for months. I didn't have sports for months. I didn't think we were going to have sports this year. I'm going to be honest with y'all, but... Throughout COVID season, one of the best sports documentaries came out. Ray J, have you heard of The Last Dance? Anybody watch The Last Dance? Like, I don't know about you, but every time I heard this song, I got hyped. I was like, okay, okay. Starting at number 23, the greatest of all time, not LeBron James, not Michael Jordan, James Metamora! I don't know. I, something about that song gets me hyped. I'm like, let me shoot that baggage out of there. But I can only imagine that when you enter parenthood, you have to have that same feeling, right? You want to be the greatest parent of all time. You want to be the Michael Jordan of parenthood. You want to be the LeBron James of parenthood. But somewhere along the line, maybe you end up being the Orlando Magic of parenthood. Like... <laughs> I'm an Orlando Magic fan, so I can say that, right? I don't think we go into it saying, I just want to be a mediocre parent. But what I love about this story is that things kind of happen, and we see, really, in this verse, a lot of good stuff about kind of parenthood. So here we go. In Luke chapter 15, verse 21, it says this, amen. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe to the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. I look at that. I'm like, that is crazy. My child comes home, used all of my life savings. I wouldn't be giving him my best. I would have given him a sandal for his feet, but I give him some type of sandal. But I'm just joking. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I don't think. I don't know. We'll see <laughs> when I become a parent. And I'm going to be honest with y'all. I'm going to say a little stuff right now, what I think we need to do. But before I do, understand this. I am not a parent. Um, and when I say this, maybe things will change. You might call me out. I don't know. I'm not saying this, what I'm about to say, based off of me being a middle school or high school teacher. I'm not saying this um, being a youth pastor, but I'm saying this off of the greatest of all time. So when I say this, just understand this coming from the greatest of all time, our God. You see, what happens is the father 
gives him his best. Like, I know some of you are like, okay, well, I don't really have a cattle or a cow to give my child. I don't even got a backyard. But what is your best? You see, my question for you today is how do we respond when our children let us down? See, that's such a hard question. But guess what? The answer is in this scripture. We give them our best. See, it's so, so important because your best, again, might not be a cattle, but maybe your best is this. Maybe your best is loving on your child when they let you down. Maybe your best is saying, hey, I'm going to be here like Medi said. I'm going to be present and I'm going to give you my best. Maybe your best is saying, you know what? I'm going to take a step back before I say something to my child that I might regret. So my answer for you today, reflect, is what is your best? And that's what God is saying. And I know some of you might be like, okay, like this is cool, but there's, there's room for discipline, right? And absolutely there is. You better believe after the feast, I'm sure the father disciplined him. And there was still consequence, right? Because the kid still lost his inheritance. It's not like, oh, I can double up now. Yeah. Now, what's so important that I, I kind of leave with this is also Teenager, child, understand this. What makes this all kind of make sense and what kind of sticks out to me is that the son went to the father. Meaning the son went to the father before he got caught. The son didn't go, oh, I got caught. You found me texting this person, doing that TikTok. You caught me. No, the son went to the father. And I challenge you today, teenager, if you are going through something, if there's something going on inside and you feel like you might be embarrassed, I just challenge you to go to your parent and you will see a difference when you go to them before you get caught. Now, maybe you're not a parent. Maybe, I mean, you are probably a child. But maybe this doesn't necessarily make something relatable to you. And I kind of close with this. Maybe as I was speaking, you're looking at the Heavenly Father and you're saying, you know what? I've messed up, and all God is saying to you is come home. Come home. I don't know if you're going through something. Maybe you're not going through a financial crisis, but maybe you're going through some type of spiritual crisis. Well, God is saying come home today. So I challenge you today, come home. That's good. Amen. I want to close off the story, Luke chapter 15, verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. Somebody say lost. lost. And is found. So they began to celebrate. Worship team, you can come on out. So they began to celebrate. Um, I, I love this verse because it shows an image of the father's heart. The father thought his son was dead. This isn't hyperbole. The, the father is like, I legit thought he was gone. I it's been years since I've seen him. I, I, I thought he was gone. I, he was lost. You know, there will always come a point in your parenting where you feel lost. Like because of the decisions your son or daughter made and you don't know how to respond. And this is the, my final point. I, I feel lost. And it might not even be with the son. Like I said, if you're here and you're not a parent, maybe you're in a season of life right now where it looks like I, I feel lost. Just because you're the parent doesn't mean you should respond differently than the son did in this story. If you are in a season of life where you feel lost, if you're like a parent, your son or daughter is far from God and you feel lost, do what the son did when he felt lost. Run to the father. 
run to the Father. And I got to illustrate this in order for you to understand. And so, um, you know, you got to see the run. You got to see it. So um, I went to Party City this morning. Yeah. And, uh, and I bought a Jesus costume. It was, uh, I promise this isn't just for show. You got to see it. It was $14.99. Come on. It was on sale. It was originally $20. I got to be honest. I was a little tight when they put Jesus on sale. Dude behind the counter was like, $14.99. I was like, I'll pay $42. Put Master Pollen with the world today. We put Jesus on sale. That's another sermon. That's another sermon. I got to do it because in order for you to, to understand what happened, because running to the Father sounds real spiritual. What does that look like? Well, there's two steps to running to the Father. The first thing you got to do is take a step towards the Father. And so, James, just take one step. Just one step. Boom. Stop right there. The reason why that step is so significant is because that step illustrates that James, that the son, that you and I, that we have hope. When we run to the Father, what we're saying is we have hope that tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. Hope is believing that the future can be better. And let me tell you something about hope, although it goes without saying, hope only exists in the future. You That's called regret. You can't hope in the past. That only, that, that's called regret. I, I wish I could have done that differently. I wish I would have said that. I wish I wouldn't have slammed the door. I wish I would have never hit him that way. I wish I would have been there more. I wish I would have went. Up. That's not hope. That's regret. Hope is that my tomorrow can be better. We can salvage this family. We can restore these children. I can be a better dad. I can be a better mom. I will be a better dad than my dad was. I got hope than that. But the second step of returning to the father, of running to the father, is letting the father's love cover your shame. Because there is some shame when you feel like you let your kids down. There is some shame in life when you make mistakes and you make bad choices. And so, and so let me just show you this real quick. Um, this thing is super duper tight. Like, and this fabric is soft, but it's still, it's still tight. Like, it's a little flexible. Like, I can't run in this. Like, if I'm going to run to James, that's like running to James. Like, like I can't, like, I can't, I can't get knee height on this. I can't pick up any momentum. Why is that significant? Because in order for the father to run, he had to. And why is this powerful? Because in biblical times, if an older man showed off his legs, it was like he was naked. It was shameful to show. It was like being nude. And so he's over here like this. This is the only way he can run to the father. He can run to the son. If he's running, which leads me to ask the question, why did he run? Why did he become ashamed? Why did he do this in his neighborhood? Because in biblical times, there was a tradition. And it was called Kazaza. If your son or your daughter wasted their inheritance and they wanted to come back home, it was a tradition called Kazaza. The, the neighborhood would meet you at the entrance of the village and they would take a big pot and they would break the big pot in front of your face and they would tell you, you no longer have a part of this community. And you could live there, but you could only live there as a slave, which is what the son was expecting. Remember his speech? He said, son, he said, father, take me back. Even if as a slave, take me back. He was expecting Kazaza. But guess who else was expecting Kazaza? The father. That's why he ran and met him outside the village. He was like, I got to get there before the neighbors do. And I got to let you know that they might condemn you and they might throw you away, but I will never throw you away. You're not going to get the response that you thought. And why did he run like this? Why did he run like this? Because they were too busy staring at the father's shame that they didn't look at his shame. 
What did Jesus do on the cross? He stood in the middle and said, don't look at him. Look at me. Look at all the decisions I made. Look at my perfection. Look at my sin. I'll take on your shame. Stand at your feet if you're in this room today. The father's shame covered the shame of the son. It's like if one guy falls down and another guy walks up naked. You're not looking at the guy that fell down. You're looking at the naked guy like, bro, put some clothes on. The whole neighborhood was so busy looking at the father. There was so, he ran through the neighborhood. The neighbors were like, oh, look. Who's... They were so busy looking at the father, they couldn't even see him. If you're in this room today and you're experiencing shame on any level, I want you to know nobody's looking at you because of what Jesus did on that cross. He's saying, don't look at him. Look at me. You know, there were two thieves. One did that on the left and one did that on the right of Jesus. When we wear necklaces, we don't wear necklaces with three crosses because nobody cares about what those guys did. Because what the guy in the middle did outweighed what those guys on the right and the left did. Take this off. We can't go back in time. We can't go back in time. But we don't have to carry shame anymore for the decisions that we made. I'm not even talking to just parents anymore. I'm talking to anybody in this room. You've made some bad decisions. You've made some bad choices. I know you wish you could go back in time and undo those choices. Good news. You don't have to. You can't, number one. But there's a God whose shame takes away your shame. And for the rest of the parents that are in this room, listen, it's time to change. It's time to do things differently. We've got to spend more time with our kids. We've got to be a model. We're going to make a better version of ourselves. That's fine. But let's do all of that with no shame. Come on, we're going to come to church. We're going to try to be better people. But let's do all of that with no shame. Because the one who died on the cross took all of our shame. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for speaking this word today. Father, I pray for anybody in this room who is wrestling with parental shame. I want to speak to the parents first, and I'll speak to everybody. If you're in this room and you're wrestling with, I wish my marriage would have been stronger because then maybe my kids would have grown up better. I wish I hadn't wrestled with alcoholism because then maybe my son or daughter wouldn't have wrestled with alcoholism. Whatever your past and your history is, do not be ashamed. God has taken up your shame. For future parents and people who want to be parents, I know you got the shame what your parent did to you, passing it down to your kids. No shame. That's taken up on the cross at the feet of Jesus. We release it right now. We release it right now. Run to the Father. Run to the Father. Run to the Father. Now let me talk to everybody in this room, parent or not, who's made some poor choices recently. And I want to say I give you props. I give you respect. Why? Because you came to church in spite of the shame. When the enemy was telling you you weren't good enough, when the devil was telling you, really, you're going to come to church after the Friday night you had? I want to let you know right now, you can put that shame aside right now. If you walked into this building with any weight or guilt, put that on Jesus. Yes, get better. Yes, grow. But in the meantime, put your shame on Jesus. Run to the Father. He will meet you halfway. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to meet him halfway. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room and you want to meet Jesus halfway, what does that mean? I want to start a relationship with him. I'm far from Christ, but I want to come home, and I want this to be new, and I want this to be different. I'm ready to take that step. I've got hope. I'm going to let his shame cover my shame. That's you in this room, and you want to say a prayer with me to start fresh, to begin new, to have a clean say. When I say three, I want you to raise your right hand to the sky signal on the sign. Yes, Jesus, I need you. All over this room. One, two, all over this room. On three, raise your right hand. That's you. One, 
two, come on, no more shame. One, two, three, raise that right hand high. No more shame, no more shame, no more shame, no more shame, no more shame. Come on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen in the balcony. No more shame, no more shame, no more shame. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.